Please, let us pray. Iron Fist, who art in Brisbane, Trevor be thy name, with Velvet Glove and Twelfth Man, podcast be thy game. Give us this day our weekly podcast to expose those who have trespassed against us. Lead us not into superstition, but deliver us from bullshit. For thine is the podcast, for the politics and the ethics, for the beer and the banter. Amen. 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 Yes. <laughs> Dear listener, this is the Iron Fist Velvet Glove podcast. Thoughts and prayers, the theme of the podcast perhaps to some extent. <laughs> so I thought we'd start with prayer and get out the road. This is an Australian podcast. We talk about news and politics, sex and religion. We talk about what's going on in the world, try and figure it out, try and make some observations. Uh, I'm Trevor, the Iron Fist, with me as always, Scott the Velvet Glove. G'day Trevor, g'day Paul, g'day listeners. And also, of course, Paul the Twelfth Man. G'day Scott, g'day Trevor, g'day everyone. Very good. So, dear listener, uh, we're going to be talking about the bushfires, we're going to be talking about the Q&A, feminist edition, mm. uh, wokeness, <laughs> um, various topics like that, how Labor lost the election. Um, and can of... they ever win one again? <laughs> <laughs> yep, and things like that. So we'll see how we go, stick with us and... Um, Enjoy the ride. If you're watching in the chat room, then you're very welcome to make comments and we'll try and bring those in as people uh, as people make them. So welcome to everybody who might come into the chat room. Right. So, well, gentlemen, bushfires, there's a lot of them. It's a pretty bad situation. And normally politicians love natural disasters, whether it's a flood or whether it's a bushfire or a shooting or something like that because, let's face it, it's an opportunity for a politician to get in front of the cameras and put forward a whole bunch of motherhood statements, praise the volunteers who are working, you know, implore the public to pull together and normally they get a bit of a free run and it's, mm. and it's free publicity. I can distinctly remember Anna Bly in Queensland, our State Premier, Scott, she was in pretty low regard and... We had a flood came along and she um, cried and said, you know, Queenslanders will always fight or something along those lines. And, and her stocks went up, you know, five or six points immediately. Exactly. So, so they're used to having and a pretty... And along came Campbell Newman. And, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but it's certainly a, a natural disaster is normally a pretty good thing for a politician. And they just get annoyed when someone tries to interrupt with questions about policy, mm. which is a pretty rare thing. It doesn't normally happen. But it seems to be happening, Scott, on this occasion, where because people are relating the bushfires to climate change, then once they get through their spiel about, you know, how great the volunteers are mm. and et cetera, et cetera, the, the very next question is, well, isn't this all your fault because of climate change and all the rest of it? And then, and they're not enjoying it. Have you, did you no. have any gentlemen thoughts? Then, then they decry the way people link, make make it a political issue. You know, they say, "Oh, let's keep politics out of this." Yes, this is a time when we all need to come together. Yes, yeah, it may well be the time that we all need to come together. But you know, one of the things that John Howard said about the two thousand and seven election was that there was a perfect storm. Uh, no, not the 2007, yeah, the 2007 election when he lost the election. Um, he said there was a perfect storm. You had a millennial drought that had been going on for God knows how long. You had bushfires and everything and suddenly the public demanded something be done about climate change. 
So then along comes Rudd and said this is the greatest moral economic disaster that we've ever faced. We've mm. got to do something about it. And he gets in. He fails to act. No, the Greens actually prevent him from acting. Mm. The Greens are responsible for Australia not having a carbon pollution, pollution reduction scheme. Mm. It is their fault and anyone that votes Green should hold, hang their head in shame. However, I'll move off that. Um, <laughs> uh, where was I headed with all that? Uh, yeah, yeah, so he said that was the perfect storm that led to him losing the election. Mm. Pretty hard to argue with that. Mm. I think Costello, uh, not Costello, what's his name? Morrison mm. is potentially facing a new perfect storm around climate change. Mm. You know, now it's whether or not the public still remembers all this in three years' time, two and a half years' time. Uh, they what, won't remember. They what, can do whatever you like. What do you think is the years. memory span of the average voter? Like, similar to a goldfish. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would think, you know, it's not long. No, what? people just don't pay attention. It, yeah, they don't pay attention. So they can get away with whatever for the next yeah, two years. Our listeners pay attention. They do. Yeah, but and they've got there are not enough of them to, s- no. to swing the election. They've got some long memories. But let's look at some of the quotes that have been made um, about this. Um, Deputy Prime Minister Michael McCormack. So yeah, he was, he's off his medication, isn't he? <laughs> so he's the one who, who, who said to the uh, Pacific Islanders, what are you doing complaining? You're going to be fine. And yeah, stop whinging about Australia because we let you pick our fruit. Exactly. So, so, <laughs> seriously, yeah. that that was his line. So yeah. that, that, that that's the caliber of guy we're talking about here. And he has said uh, that the Greens were inner city raving lunatics for discussing climate change as fires spread across the state. And he said that we've had fires in Australia since time began. What people need now is a little bit of sympathy, understanding and real assistance. They need help. They need shelter. Uh, They don't need the ravings of some pure, enlightened and woke capital city greenies at this time uh, when they're trying to save their homes. So, look, he's a raving lunatic. Mm. But there's some clever politics in this. There is, yeah. Because this is in line with Mm. the tactic of... Uh, Morrison and his group. Which is divide the population. Divide mm. the population into the elite mm. urban exactly. woke community. Latte sipping, so-called. Exactly. <coughs> and then everybody yeah. else. Yep. So he's trying to cement in the country vote. Uh, is he? Well, that, McCormick the, the, would the, be because the, he's a national party. That's leader. what I mean, yeah. The, the, well, the, the people who don't perceive themselves as the elite. Mm. So that's who they're... They're setting this up the entire time and basically saying everybody else is crazy lefty wokeness mm. and we're just trying to get on with the job. Mm. So, you know, that's part of the picture that he's painted. <coughs> um, Barnaby Joyce said, I acknowledge that the two people who died were most likely people who voted for the Green Party, so I'm not going to start attacking them. That's the last thing I want to that do. That was an odd thing to say, wasn't it? Yes. How would you assume anyone who died in a bushfire was yes. a Green voter? Yeah. Uh, that was an odd thing on, to based say. Based on what? I just uh, yeah. uh, didn't it's really understand. Yeah. thing for him to say. And what, if they weren't Greens, then he would have attacked them? Uh, you know, again, he would have attacked the Greens if... if if the guys that had died weren't green voters. Mm. Yes. And he says, I wish uh, Adam Bant uh, would do is not try to extend this argument to political purposes. So when, you know, this is the thing, when there's a shooting in America, they say, oh, let's not talk about gun control at this important time. Let's think about the families and the thoughts and prayers. 
Well, it's the ideal time to be talking about Indeed. what well, to do is to when credit, these events happen. Obama did. You remember the Sandy Hook massacre? Yes. And Obama did make it an issue. Yes. He said, look, at times like this, it's obvious there's yes. a problem. We yes. need to do something about it. Yeah. I watched the first 10 minutes of Q&A last night and there was a intro question about is the government at fault because of their policies and the Labor guy said, well, at this time, I'm not going to talk about politics. It was <laughs> like, well, if I was the compare of q and I would have said, well, I wish you told us that before we invited you. Do you mind vacating that seat yeah. and we'll put somebody on who's Indeed. actually going to say something? But yeah. that was his line at Because they point. specifically invite yeah. a member of the government, a member of the opposition quite often, don't mm. they? Because they want a political perspective. Mm. Well, you would think you know. so. His, his perspective was not to have a perspective mm. at this point in time. Yeah, it was odd for him too because he's usually quite outspoken. Mm. You know, this is the whole point with climate change. Climate change takes a long time to get where we're at. It's going to take us an even longer time to unwind it and get back to something normal. So I don't think we can throw rocks at Morrison right now for this particular set of bushfires. However, he and Bolsonaro and Trump and the other global leaders that aren't doing anything, they are responsible for this. It just means we're going to have presumably more of it in the future as the place gets Absolutely. hotter if yeah. you're not going to do anything about it. So anyway... Um, you know, I just think that um, it's called global warming for a reason because it is global. You've got to act globally to mm. fix the problem. Mm. So even if Australia did go to 100% renewable tomorrow and all our cars were electric power from mm. the renewable grid, mm. we're not going to be able to change where the world's headed. Mm. I agree, but I think people can say, do you see how serious the problem is, <clears throat> Absolutely, Scamo, yeah, absolutely. And you're not doing anything about it. I agree wholeheartedly, mm. yeah. Yep. Why did you only watch 10 minutes of last night's Well, Because that that's enough that he was about to get pissed when off. When the Labor it. guy said, oh, this is not the time to uh, talk about politics. I watched uh, a bit I, more. Uh, really? And uh, is it Ross Garner? Mm-hmm. He was, he was actually quite interesting and he said he, he thinks Australia could uh, utilise a lot of um, re, re, renewables like solar power, wind power, whatever, mm-hmm. and, you know, on a large scale and actually, um, what do they call it, value add to our mineral exports instead of just exporting giant shiploads of iron ore and aluminium ore. He said we should be making it into metal here and exporting the, you know, the, f- the metal product rather than just the ore. Right, right. Mm-hmm. We, ha- we, we, we have the resources. I could only hang in for so long. Okay. So forgive me on that one. <laughs> yeah, so. and there was an interesting woman from the United States who is involved in, you know, the executive level of some kind of business there and she was talking quite interestingly about the you know the 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 way in america she said oh actually the the liberal party guy was saying we we need more continuity of investment to really get new industries going you can't just say to a a new business a startup we'll give you a million dollars and then when you've used that up, come back to us and we'll, we'll think about giving you, you another million. You know? She said, in the United States, fortunately for them, startup businesses get a lot of support. They get a lot of money thrown at them and they can actually go places with it where they don't have to continually 
keep asking for more money. Well, they do keep asking for more money because venture capitalists basically give them a drip feed and then uh, when the crunch comes, they cut off the money and try and take over the company from the original founders. So mm. they play a very hard game, the venture capitalists. Okay. And the advantage, though, that those industries have in America is they've got very liberal uh, bankruptcy laws. So it's oh. much easier to start something, give it a go, and if it's looking sour, to pull the pin and you can continue to operate as a director of other companies. Oh, I see. Whereas here in Australia, we're a lot tougher on people. Mm. And I think it's called Chapter 11 bankruptcy or something mm. like that over there. So they've got different bankruptcy laws mm. to make it more attractive to have a go yep. because if you fail, mm. you're not crippled for life in your corporate career. Yeah. So well, The Liberal Party uh, guy, he was from New yeah. South Wales, not federal, mm. but, but he was saying basically we need something like that in Australia to get new industries up and running. Yeah, but you know, over there it'll just be tech because mm. they've got tech people. Indeed. But if it just relies on labour, then you won't get an, an industry here because mm. labour's cheaper elsewhere. Mm. So... Uh, yeah. What about Ross Garneau's idea of um, setting up metal production facilities? Well, yeah. The, the thing is you're going to need a hell of a lot of electricity yes. to do that. Yes. And well, electric- he reckons that it's available in Australia potentially if we build the infrastructure. Well, we'll have to wait and see mm. because um, Australia's got to get off coal. There's no doubt about that. Mm. You know, um, Although you can't get off coal completely because no. you need coking coal to make steel. Well, that's the whole point. You're going to have to burn some coal. Now, Garno, I heard him say that you know you could do it, and you'd be exporting the metal. You'd be exporting the metal overseas, mm. and it would be made with cheap, renewable, clean energy over here. So it's yeah. going to be cleaner. Okay. So our advantage is that we've got cheap energy to do it with. Mm. That's what I reckon. Yeah, that, that makes sense. That's but that the coking coal that Paul's just talked about—that's mm. not cheap and clean energy. That's uh, dirty energy because it's burned. Well, someone, someone made the point, okay. it might not have been on Q&A, it might have been something I read, that the forests of Europe, before they discovered that uh, coal could be used to make steel, they used to chop down forests and burn wood and use uh, charcoal. Mm-hmm. And then they, re- they discovered that they could do the same thing and do it better with coal. And they said that's the only reason there's any forests left in Europe. Right. They discovered coal yeah. before they wiped them all yeah. out. Yeah. yeah. That makes sense. Well, and also then... They just took um, – when they needed wood, they took it from overseas from the colonies as well, you know. So. And apparently in the UK, mm. somebody, is in, mm. somebody is importing wood, you know, pelleted, pelleted wood from North America right. as a fuel right. to burn right. to produce electricity. That sounds crazy, doesn't it? Don't know anything Because they call it a renewable because it's trees right. and they reckon they can replant them and grow them again. Right. Well, if it's from, if it's plantation timber, that yeah, is yeah, but it's still producing carbon pollution, surely. Yes, burning yeah, wood. But it's also got to suck the carbon dioxide when it grows from yeah. a little sapling right up to a tree. Yeah. It's got to suck the carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere first. Yeah. Although, yeah, if you've replaced your tree that you're burning with ten trees that are growing, you're okay. But yeah, so is a calculation used. Ross in the chat room says just about the um, chapter eleven I was referring to that you can't claim it if you. Can't pay your student debt though, so no, that's I'll right. get you for that. Yeah. Well, the student debt, mm. the student debt can't be written off. Mm. It can't ever be written off. You've you've mm. got to pay that back. Mm. Yeah. And Wheat Watcher says he used to import wood pellets and palm kernel into the UK to be burnt. 
There you go. Our friend there Week Watcher go. from last. Thanks, Week <laughs> Watcher. It does happen. Yeah. Okay. Um, now, before we get on to Q&A, the feminist edition, uh, <laughs> uh, Karen in the chat room uh, just mentioned about my comment about the veterans card and that I poo-pooed the veterans card. Mm-hmm. And I was, look, I think at the end of the day I said, look, have a veterans card, but I don't want overt glorifying of our veterans in everyday life. Yeah, like at airports. Like getting on the aeroplane or, you know, if somebody is introduced on radio or television and it's mentioned in passing that they are in the Defence Force, that we then stop and say, thank you for your service. Mm. And that's what I object to. By all means, have a card and get something cheap. But this sort of stopping to glorify people or, or to I pay particular can, attention, I have a problem with. I think you can glorify them on well, Anzac Day. Yes. And, and one day and, and Remembrance Day. Remembrance Day, yeah. Yes, yeah. indeed. Those times. So those two days a year, I think you can glorify them then, but then the rest of the days, I don't yeah. think... Yeah. I don't Glorifying know. may not be the right word, but... But I you think, should... You, I, I think, I, you know, I think you should thank a vet. I think it's honouring them Anzac rather than day. glorifying yeah. them. Yes, thank you. The better yeah. word. But my point is that... Um, uh, that overt sort of stopping and and making something special verbally about mm. them is what I it's object a bit to. ostentatious, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's got and it it leads on to other things. Mm. So yeah, anyway. But do you know what? Can I just mention one thing? I, I saw on the news uh, the British commemoration for Armistice Day, and they showed a, an old uh, World War Two era. Aeroplane, a Dakota, I think it was, mm-hmm. flying over the cliffs of Dover, and some guy on board heaving bags of, of red things that were supposed to represent the petals of red poppies right. out of the door of the plane yeah. to flutter in the breeze. Yeah. Down. And they're flying over the cliffs, and you know, we've heard all this, um, and, and quite rightly, the, the idea we shouldn't be just hurling stuff into the atmosphere that might drift into the ocean and be swallowed by a turtle or a fish or whatever. Right. And here they are flying over the cliffs of Dover, hurling bags and bags of this, this red, I don't know what it was made of. Presumably it wasn't plastic. Hopefully. Presum- presumably it was just <laughs> yeah. petals. One would have thought it would be cardboard. No, it wouldn't have been real petals. Because okay. it was millions and millions of them, you know. I mean, it would have been something manufactured, but from what I, I'm, I'm just sure it would have sure. been biodegradable. I'm sure. Let's hope. Let's hope so. Okay. Otherwise, you know, yeah. they've just killed a lot of fish and turtles. And Ross in the chat room says he's a veteran, totally agrees. The card is fine if they want to look after vets, fix the DVA. This is the other thing, is mm. this is the hypocrisy that happens, particularly in the States, where they say, thank you for your service, blah, blah, blah. But yeah. meanwhile, treat them like shit. Yeah. When they, when and a lot of them live on the yeah. streets, apparently, after yeah. discharge. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, right. Um, let's, oh, just finally, uh, there was an article in The Shovel about uh, Morrison and his thoughts and prayers. And uh, from The Shovel it says... Um, saying his government would do whatever it takes to fight the increasing number of fires in Australia, Prime Minister Morrison has committed to an unprecedented two million thoughts and prayers per year for struggling fire departments <laughs> on top of existing thoughts and prayers already delivered. Um, he said that the thoughts and prayers could be deployed quickly and cheaply. Yes. Uh, quote, you know, while others are talking about complex, expensive initiatives like funding firefighters or addressing climate change, yeah. we're actually putting real, practical Fully costed measure in place today. Uh, one or two conversations with Hillsong and I can have this policy on the ground and fully delivered within a week. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've got to hand it to him. It's cheap. Mm-hmm. 
Right. It's cheap because it doesn't mean anything. Yeah. It doesn't cost anything. Yep. Okay. So I mentioned earlier that part of what McCormack was doing was painting the picture of the urban elites and who are out of touch with the average Australian. Meanwhile, the Liberal coalition government is in touch. And the problem is that the left is not selling to these people an alternative. And the more I think about the previous election, the more it was like, you guys are shit who want to do mining and who want to do these other things and just stop it. Nobody ever said to them, here's something we'll offer you in place so that you can put food on the table. Mm. Exactly. And it's, it was, a, you know, on point reflection, it's sort of a carbon copy of what happened in America mm. where, you know, they were de- Hillary called Clinton, them the, the deplorables. Basket, basket of deplorables. Yeah. 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 It's a real it was thing. A very similar and, and, spectacle, yeah, wasn't it? Indeed. So what's happening, though, is the left is doubling down and just insulting people it disagrees with. And you can have no better sort of example of this than the Q&A episode of eight days ago. <laughs> Scott, you didn't get to hear it. but No, I didn't get to see it or hear it or anything like that. And they're very pissed off that they've taken it. Down yeah, well, I we have, watch it. well, I happen to have some of the audio here okay. for you. So this is the part that they were mostly talking about. It goes for about uh, three minutes, I think. So hang on, hang on for this. When trying to bring, out, bring about significant change, when is aggression and violence a better option than assertiveness, strong arguments and modelling the behaviour you expect of others? I, I have a great answer for this that a lot of people do not like. I want patriarchy to fear feminism. And there is a chapter in my book on violence. There is a chapter on, on my book about white women who voted for Trump and white women who accept crumbs from patriarchy because they allow their whiteness to trump their gender. I'm fully aware of this. But at the end of the day, even those white women have to recognize that nothing protects them from patriarchy. Nothing. For me, as a feminist, the most important thing is to destroy patriarchy. And all of this talk about how if you talk about violence, you're just becoming like the men. My question, so your question is a really important one, but I'm going to answer it with another question. How long must we wait for men and boys to stop murdering us, to stop beating us, and to stop raping us. How many rapists must we kill? Not the state, because I disagree with the death penalty, and I want to get rid of incarceration, and I'm with you on the police. So, I want women themselves, I want, as a woman I'm asking, how many rapists must we kill until men stop raping us? So Mona, them's fighting words. Spectator Australia is already saying Mona's um, promoting violence. Mm-hmm. That's what you're doing? Well, what I'm doing is I'm saying that violence has been owned by the state. That violence has been given by the state to its police. That violence has been allowed to continue unchecked mostly uh, by men, especially privileged men. So exactly how long do I have to wait to be safe? Okay. And when Let I say to Murray, be safe, Murray, there's a hierarchy you... of safety too. And Obviously people of colour, disabled people, etc. If I can just jump in, Mona. Um, so I'm thinking, I just want to bring this conversation back to the land that we're on, um, Australia, whatever. Um, like, we live in a colonial state, and I think for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, we are living in a constant state of duress. We experience violence from so many different types of systems. We experience it interpersonally. Um, I don't... When you say violence begets violence, there's something kind of... It's almost sounding like it's a pl- like a level playing field, mm. which it's not. it's not. It's absolutely not. So 
I think if you're defending yourself, um, then I think, I think there are, I think, I'm surprised, I wonder what our kind of tipping point in Australia is going to be when people are going to start burning stuff. Um, I look forward to it. Um, <laughs> like I cannot, we've tried for 230 plus years to appeal to the colonisers' morality, which just doesn't seem to exist. Um, so it's, I think violence, yeah, I think violence is okay. Because, like, we, if someone's trying to kill you, you know, there's no amount of, oh, but I'm really clever, you know, I'm, a, I'm, I'm really articulate. Um, no amount of that is going to save you. So, I, yeah. It's I a think tricky really good stuff. I think... I fully appreciate why there was such a blowback over this, over this episode. You know? Quite extraordinary, really. It really was. I mean, these women were sitting around calmly and rationally discussing mm. the possibility of violence on the streets. Mm. Mm. And not, not only that, but I would argue these women are somewhat elite in their... Oh, absolutely. Well, we'll get to that. Yeah, yeah, we'll get to that. But so, what about the white women? The white women. It's not just the white men that are the problem now. It's, it's white, white women, women too. Yeah. But yeah. why white? Of course, you know... It's, because all, all white people are racists. Well, because, and privileged well, because and elite. the powerful and elite are all white. Yeah, it's, it's part of this intersectionality bullshit. So it's so frustrating that just painting the picture of all, all men. As know, rapists. There's no nuance in this. Such None whatsoever. Generalisations. We are basically all men are all powerful and they're all rapists and, and killers and mm. we've got to defend ourselves. Yeah. The picture that's painted is, is you would imagine um, it was like some street in Somalia or something where people are just raping and killing each other on the streets as you walk down. Like yeah. you, you would, it, it painted a terrible picture, an exaggeration yeah. of, of what's going on in the world, as if every man was up to no good. It is so exaggerated. And as if, the thing that gets me is that as if every man is powerful. And yes, exactly. they're, they're not. No. Like, as we know, it's the 1% who are, but the 99% are not. And, you, you know, to just... But when are they going to stop raping women, Trevor? And yeah. the other thing uh, she said was elite men. She said, when are men going to stop raping women, especially elite men? Mm. Whereas we know that the men that are the most likely to rape are men from lower socioeconomic uh, groups in society and, frankly, mentally ill men, I think. Mm. So we've, uh, we've said on the past in this podcast many times in terms of free speech that we're quite liberal about people having free speech to say stuff. Mm. Provided it doesn't incite violence. Now, there in, was a hell of a lot in that that was inciting in, violence. Indeed. Sure was. That was the line that we've said you can't cross if you're going to incite violence. Mm. And, you know, I, I guess at one level they were speaking hypothetically and not actually saying go get a gun and kill somebody, but it was not a good look. Like no, it, it, it was really, not a good look at all. Yeah, so I can understand the ABC pulling that and saying that was a mistake. It so sure did seem like a mistake. Even though we're in favour of free speech? What do you think? Absolutely. Man? Should, that, no. should that be pulled or, or uh, not? Based look, on I'm, I'm your libertarian should, views. I'm not sure it should be pulled mm. because it's already out there. Mm. Let's face it. Once it's out there, it's out there. You can't completely remove mm. it from circulation. Mm. However, 
I think uh, the ABC should uh, use a, a, a bit more judgment, a bit more judicious judgment when selecting panelists based on their record of you know what they have said. And Fran Kelly, I, I look she, to be fair, she admitted mm. that she didn't handle it well, mm. but I think she should have done a hell of a lot better in reining that in. But look, I was you know the the Egyptian American woman was. Uh, incredibly hypocritical, you know. Mm. Uh, but at the same time, the indigenous woman, to me, she just sounded like she had no solutions. I don't. I'm not even sure she really understands what the problems are because for her, it's just it's just about being a colonial state, a so-called colonial state, and and indigenous peoples have apparently, according to her, been trying for 230 years to appeal to the morality of the the settlers, you know. Mm. And nothing's happening, so let's just burn stuff. I mean, what sort of response is that, really? That was the thing that I found really disturbing, was how she said it might be time to go burn things. Or she said, no, what she says, she said, it's not all that, uh, you know, what she says, she said, I want want to start burning stuff. You know, now that was really quite disturbing. I think the Indigenous woman would have more influence on an, an Australian TV show than the Egyptian woman, frankly. Uh, there are a lot of Indigenous people out there who feel aggrieved, deeply mm. aggrieved. And if another Indigenous person sitting up there on the TV on a panel show, a well-respected panel show saying, maybe we should just burn stuff, I can imagine some Indigenous people out there in the viewing audience might think that's not a bad idea. Mm. See, why didn't they talk to Jacinta... Price. Well, they could have had her on as yeah. a, a, an alternative opinion or at least, you know, a well, different Well, normally opinion. they're at pains to have people from each side of mm. an argument. But there was except no... For, except for when it comes to secularists or atheists. Mm. You know, mm. So mm. the panels are always stacked with religious Indeed. people, never the opposite. But, you know, left and right, normally, somebody from the IPA, okay, let's grab someone yeah. from The Guardian or whatever. Like, normally they're at pains and, and clearly somebody from the other side of the mm. fence would have had a field day there and would have just, yeah. you know, helped provide, stop that. So that was Do you it's think dangerous it's a, to create a little echo chamber mm. because everyone Do you think just it's a sign of, of how far left the ABC has really gone? Uh, well, this is the whole bloody yes, problem. I guess. It, yes. It is. But, you know, Lee sales notwithstanding, 7.30 report is still a very good... Um, current affairs program, and you don't get very you don't get news much better than the ABC. Mm. SBS is very good too. Do you think? Yeah, it's not too bad. Oh, I find SBS the mo- most woke <laughs> channel on TV. Seriously, <laughs> seriously, seriously woke. SBS. I heard a, one of their news presenters, who I think is originally from South Africa, and somebody, um, you know, they had this this sort of mocked up. Uh, presentation about r- racism and discrimination and somebody said something to her and it was really really trivial but it was it was it was scripted sent to who it was a little piece on uh it was it was a little woke presentation about how to how to deal with discriminatory treatment so they had this little sort of scripted mocked up uh, scenario mm. where one of her colleagues said to her, and I forget her name, said something really trivial, like 
misunderstood her name or where she was from or something. And she responds with, I find that offensive. I mean, SBS is ten times as woke as the ABC, in my opinion. Right. They, and and they, they screen these things by, what was the name? Uh, Yumi, what's her face? Yeah. Who did that presentation on male sexism. Right. And then the other one, uh, anyway. Okay, that, that all right. So your, your, your thesis is that SBS is worse than ABC. Yasmin yeah. Abdel-Majid. Abdel-Majid. Yeah. Mm. She did a, a piece which was totally, totally crazy on racism where she had literally four people who were supposed to represent the Australian community. You know, one was average white man, mm-hmm. another one was an Indigenous woman and there was, you know, a Muslim and something else. And they were supposed to represent Australian society, right. you know, a, a representative sample of Australian society. And they started out with, you know, stereotypical cliched attitudes, particularly the white guy. And by the end of the program, the white guy was was admitting that he realised how racist he was. Yeah, and they all the sat around a dinner table yeah. holding hands and drinking wine and singing Kumbaya, you know. <laughs> it was the most... <laughs> <laughs> Bullshit piece of TV. I don't know I've why seen you subject years. yourself to these things. Well, I do it for the team. Thanks. Can we just get back to uh, this Q and A episode? And so, Elta Elta Harley was this Egyptian uh, lady who was yeah. talking the most, and you know, she was very rude to the other panelists. Like she would just jump in on top of everybody and blurt out her thing. She wasn't prepared to sort of let people have their say. She had to dominate things. Mm. So. That would have been just annoying to have her, um, it, not just the things you were saying, but just the way that she kept interrupting everybody and, mm. and putting her two cents. Now, was in. she the woman that said, you know, how long are we going to let men rape us you yes. know, before we get violent? Yeah. Yeah. Look, somebody I saw online, online defended her and said, look, she has published uh, material about how bad it is in uh, the Middle East in Muslim basically dominant Muslim societies and she came, you know, she defended those young women who tried to run away from Saudi Arabia and things like that. And that's all very well. But at the same time, you know, the way she typecasts white people is yeah, just racist. You're going to have to use some nuance, otherwise yes. you're just going to put people off. If you're trying to convince people and you're wanting to affect change, mm. calling every white man on the planet a rapist and a killer isn't yeah. going to do it. You're and also gonna, shaming you, white women on top of everything win everybody as over. being complicit. But Brendan O'Neill, so he's from Spiked and he yeah. did an article in The Australian. And you, you, that was you, really good. I'm yeah. a bit of a fan of you Brendan, Brendan O'Neill. And typically I, uh, I agree with him when it comes to free speech issues. He's very clear and cogent and, yeah. and speaks well. I just... Funded by the Koch Thanks, brothers, Brendan. he's he's also very right wing when it comes to economic issues. So, anyway, he said that uh, no, I wouldn't uh, call him a right winger. He's actually a left no, I don't either. In fact, yeah. I read something about uh, the, you cannot be funded the by the Koch brothers and be a left winger. But do you know? Do you know that? <laughs> please, do you please. know the history of Spike? He's a left winger. Yeah. Do you know the history of Spike? They were Marxists. He, he, he is not a left. He's funded by the Koch brothers. He, he was been, a he, Marxist. Do you Trevor? think the Koch brothers fund left-wing organisations, do you? Uh, well, they wouldn't and, fund... And, 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 they, and you know, the other thing about it was he didn't declare that. It had to be dug out mm. by George Monbiot. And he was probably trying to keep it quiet because he didn't mm. want to be associated with the Koch brothers because he knew what their reputation was. Yeah. Because he's not a he's not a supporter of the Koch brothers. He, oh, he, he sometimes he describes himself as a Marxist libertarian. 
It's not how people describe themselves. It's it's what they say that's important. Well, I can see elements of of, of both of them in mm. the okay. things you write. Anyway, mm. on this particular occasion, I agree with him because even with the Institute of Public Affairs, I, t- I tend to agree with most things they say when it comes to free speech. Like I do too. We're really, as one. So I do too. this is the weirdness of this podcast, dear listener. <laughs> so. Um, no, it's not. It's just going back to where it was originally. The free yeah. speech was always the, was always the domain of the left. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And you tend to typecast the IPA as right wing. I don't think they're all that right wing myself. They are very right wing on economic issues. Well, you know, they defend free speech. They defend uh, liberal democracy. To me, Absolutely. they're but centre right rather than extreme right. I'll put it that way. I beg to differ. Okay. Coming back to... Yeah, coming back to this Brendan O'Neill article. Yes, he makes the point that she was painting herself as being an oppressed victim. This is Elta Harwi. And he said, Elta Harwi has had a privileged life. And he says, I'm using the word privilege in its true sense here. Earlier in the article, he talks about how they've bastardised the word privilege. He said she grew up in a middle-class family in Egypt. Her parents had PhDs. They worked in medicine... They even got government grants to study and work overseas, including in Britain and Saudi Arabia. So she grew up, compared to most Egyptians, in great comfort. In fact, compared to most people on the planet, in great, in great comfort. Mm. And um, so that's an inconvenient fact for someone who's been super keen to be a member of the woke, um, where being oppressed gives you moral power and social influence. So she's got to paint herself as, as lacking privilege. And he describes this as a woke form of blacking up. Mm. And I think that's a good phrase. Yep. I mean, Justin Trudeau and a host of other characters mm. in North America have got into trouble for doing blackface, <laughs> painting up as blackface and pretending to be something you're not. Now, when you're pretending to be underprivileged but you've had a very privileged lifestyle, I like, I like it as a turn of phrase, a woke form of blacking up. We're middle-class people self-identify as oppressed to improve their social standing in PC circles and give themselves the right to lecture the rest of us, especially white men, about how dumb and prejudiced we are. So, good. And he's, that we've got to stop money. raping women. He's, he is on the money there. So, um, uh, so yeah, so I think he's, he's pretty clear on that one. Mm. Uh, just talk while I get my notes. I've got them on the table okay. over here. Hang on. Um. What do you want to talk about, Paul? Well, I think on the same topic. Uh, I've got the article in front of me. Uh, yeah, and it was a very good article. I read the whole thing. Yeah. And, you know, it's, um, you know, identity politics is an extremely binary system. It sees only two kinds of human beings. Those that there are the oppressed who are good, and these include Muslims, black women, brown women, some gay people, not white male gay people, and, of course, trans people. Mm. And there are privileged who are bad, you know. <laughs> That's the whole point. You know, you've just got it broken down into two people with no nuance or anything like that. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Um, Wheat Watcher says, should Mona have her visa cancelled for future visits to Australia for incitement of violence? And with this one, oh. it's nobody – I think she gets away with it because nobody can seriously – Thinks she was actually saying, genuinely saying, get a gun and In other words, it was just somebody. hyperbole for I think to so. get attention because she loves attention. Obviously, I think so. She wasn't being yeah. that concrete and specific enough about it, but yeah. she was speaking in a colourful way. 
I was actually probably more concerned means about we can... the indigenous woman, to be frank. Right. Yep. Because we have a lot of indigenous people in this country who might actually take notice of her. Yeah. I mean, when I say a lot, some. Right. Yeah. Let's burn stuff. Let's Again. burn stuff. Because it was in that TV show that uh, you've talked about, Scott, the one on, uh, screening on ABC over the last few weeks. What was it called? Where a – was it a white uh, politician? A oh. female politician hired an Indigenous woman uh, and she into the And became a senator and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Uh, what the hell's it called? You don't know the one, Trevor? Oh, this is the program. Yeah, yeah TV show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there was a scene in it where the Indigenous female senator yep. literally hands a can of petrol right. to her boyfriend or partner. Right, and they burn something. And he goes out and, and sets fire to a building. Right, okay. Yeah. So maybe that's where she got it from, from watching TV. Maybe. Karen says that um, I'd wager that most women who have the luxury of deciding to major in gender studies are already pretty privileged. Most <laughs> others need a degree that will result in an income. <laughs> Indeed. But if you parlayed it the right way, a degree in gender studies can get a decent income. I mean, this is the thing. Like, she claims to be without privilege, but you are on... Q&A, national broadcaster, having your say. You presumably live in New York or whatever. You've got a degree. Like, and presumably please. the ABC and, paid her airfare and, and, here. And, and millions of men who you're decrying as, as being privileged have no chance of having the sort of uh, soapbox that you've just been given. So Total please. control. Mm, total control. Yeah. Right. Still on the subject. So that's uh, wokeness uh, part one was the Q&A. Wokeness Part 2, this was from an article I got in the Courier-Mail. And now remember, now recently Barack Obama has come out and he said he took aim at what he called the call-out culture where left-wingers are quick to throw tags of racism, homophobia and general bigotry. Mm. And I agreed wholeheartedly with him. What they perceive as bigotry. Yes. He said that uh, this idea of purity and you're never compromised and you're always politically woke and all that stuff, he said, yeah. you should get over that quickly. The world is messy. There are ambiguities. Um, people have flaws. Um, now, that was his sort of intro to his article. This is by David Penberthy. And he then talks about an incident that happened post-Melbourne Cup. So, vow and declare... Yeah. An, an Australian horse. An Australian horse wins the Melbourne Cup. We haven't had an Australian. A great little Aussie battler. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> and a bit of a success story a plucky nag, humble owners, beats a field dominated by international horses. Yes. Feel good story. And uh, ABC journalist Osman Faruqi saw it differently. He saw something sinister and dark. So he was watching Sunrise and he said, On Sunrise this morning, one of the guests literally said the Melbourne Cup result was good because the winning horse grew here and not flew here, he wrote on Twitter. Mm. This, the culture is so racism-poisoned that we're being xenophobic about racehorses. So he read that to be An expression of racism. Zen- yes. And... Um, it's almost like they're looking for it, isn't it? Absolutely, they're looking for it. They're looking for racism under every single rock. Mm. So a guy called Martin Pakula said, being happy that a local horse beat the overseas horses is apparently racist now. 
we have actually gone through the looking glass, jumped the shark and entered the twilight zone. <laughs> yeah, I love it. <laughs> I like that. That is good. Not so, replied Faruqi. Like he's come back no, to that. Doesn't Responded to that and mm. said, he fired back on Twitter saying, we grew here, you flew here, was a notorious racial slur. Really? As if everybody who flies into this country as a migrant is of a different race. Mm. And they're not. And this, uh, a lot of them are New Zealanders. <laughs> the, the, the writer of this article says, people like Osman need to recognise a simple truth. With their smug purity, they do more to drive people towards the conservative side of politics than a year's worth of Andrew Polt Absolutely. He's dead right. He's absolutely right. And I think, and somebody else said it before me, that's possibly one of the reasons the Labor Party failed at the last election is because people identify the Labor Party with the woke left. Indeed. And even if they haven't come out in support of these women on the Q&A and they haven't come out in support of, of Faruqi... There's a perception out there that they would, if asked. Absolutely. Um, they ask, need to ask Penny Wong. They need to. She probably would have supported Al Faruqi. They need to, to, you know, paint a different picture. Otherwise, they're going to get creamed in the next election as well. People are not going to cop it. They're slow learners. I think the, the Australian Labor Plus, Party. Well, and I think they should listen to Paul Keating. What yes. did he say? Well, Go ahead. Paul Keating, sorry, just got mm. to find the quote. Mm. I like Paul Keating, but uh, occasionally he comes out with some pretty silly nonsense too. Yeah, he mm. does, but, you know, where the hell is it? Let me find it. So keep talking amongst yourselves while I find it. Okay, I've got a third example of, of wokeness, mm. and this is from uh, an article in the New York Times by Timothy Egan, and he said... Among the people I love is a sibling who works at Walmart, cleaning toilets at night in a thinly populated area of eastern Oregon. She's been there more than 25 years and has trouble saving a dime and certainly no path to retirement. She's likely to vote again for President Trump. Mm. No matter how much I point out that Trump is trying to take away her health care protections by litigating to kill Obamacare, that his tariffs have made it harder to pay her bills, that he is the most repulsive and creepy man ever to occupy the White House... She holds firm. Why? One reason is she hears from the other side. Many Democrats, she says, are dismissive of her religious beliefs and condescending of her lot in life. She's turned off by the virtue-signalling know-it-alls. Very true. Um, so that was wokeness number three. Um, got the Paul Keating quote somewhere as well. I know, you've given it in, yeah, in this... I don't know where it's gone missing it's to. It's gone. It's gone. Yeah. I don't know where it's gone either, but... Um, oh, here we go. Paul right. Keating said, mm-hmm. the 75-year-old, he's 75, huh? Right. Yeah, 75-year-old who mm-hmm. was first elected to Parliament 50 years ago said Labor risked losing the vote of the working people unless the party was clear in how it proposed to help them. Here, here. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't just... You can't just say that we're going to remove franking credits and we're not going to remove refundability of franking credits without actually saying what you're going to do with the extra money. Mm. And that is the whole point. The Labor Party did not say what they were going to do with the extra money. But they also didn't say how they're going to create jobs for all these people who are losing them or, yeah. or living on basic wages. Mm. I agree. You know, Working people, if they're not sure about the economic framework, they think, they think hang on, my job's at risk. And so they go and vote against you, even though, even though you're actually trying to help them, Mr Keating said. 
There are two big issues I see. That is income inequality and the fact there is no trickle down means that working people are going to get poorer and poorer unless there's a change in policy and there's only one party to do that. That's the Labor Party. He's right. (laughs) And yet the Labor Party don't know how to achieve that. No. They don't know how to do it. Well, I honestly think that they should have actually had a... I, I don't take this nonsense that you can have too big a target. I honestly believe that, you know, although they've both failed, you know, Houston in 93 and now Shorten in 19, mm. I honestly believe that is the fairer way to do things, to go in with a very detailed plan and have it all laid out there. What Labor didn't do is they didn't explain what they were going to do with the extra money they were going to raise. But don't you think if, I mean, one comment was made that they had too many policies. So perhaps they should, you know, just formulate two or three really big policies and explain them well. Well, what were the two or three big policies? I I don't know what they might be. This is the whole point. Like, Apparently Labor, I've heard this on another podcast, uh, Two Grumpy Hacks I was listening to. Apparently the Labor Party has an election manifesto that just gets added to and added to and added to. And they've never actually sat back and they thought to themselves, we've got to cut this back. Mm. But, but the thing, we've learnt uh, ever since that book, Democracy for Realists, mm. that people don't vote according to policy. Mm. They vote on tribal issues. Mm. It's their identification with a tribe. Mm. That's what they've got to work on. Yep. And they've got to say to people, you, the just normal people, are being screwed over mm. and... You may not realise it, but this is how you're being screwed over mm. and this is how we're going to deal with the people who are screwing you over. Mm. It's got to be a it's gotta be a, a it, it's gotta be based on identity. Because well, people do not care about policies. They identify with the group and then they justify the policies afterwards. Was Shorten not being a bit tribal with his carry on about the big end of town versus, you know, the, the workers? He might have been, but he needed to sell it better. He didn't sell it very well, did That's he? That's right, yeah. But he did present himself as a very large target, didn't he? Yeah. To the coalition. And Morrison yeah. didn't give any target. Yeah. He was just knockabout, friendly yeah. dad. <laughs> Daggy dad. And, and Daggy the, dad, exactly. But you see, as part of selling it when you're attacking the big end of town is you have to say to people, you realise your chances of being in the big end of town yourself are not I mean, very good. Because negligible. The, the problem with, say, America is... You can produce um, policies to you know, super tax the, the rich mm. and the poor will say, I don't want that because they're convinced <laughs> that, that they next can year, join the big when end all of, of their ducks line up in a row, That's right. they're going to be in the rich. That's so right. they need to be educated. Actually, your chances of social mobility are lower than they've ever been and your kids' chances are going to be even lower. Like, yep. So it's part of that story as well where people think, well, actually, I'm half a chance of being in that group if I play my cards right. Well, no, you're not. It's um, the American dream, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. and, and it's, it's, that, it's a dream. So that's all part of the story is, is explaining how you've been shafted yep. and... And why are you going to continue to be shafted unless you change your vote? Exactly. Mm. And who is shafting you? Those guys over there Mm. vote for us. And and Even small business people, you know, people who buy a franchise Mm. are getting shafted. Yes. And they are the people who believe that they're joining, Mm. you know, the entrepreneurs of the world Mm. and, you know, making themselves as success stories and yet they're being shafted by the 
the uh, parent companies mm. who sell the franchises, the landlords, to and the, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then they pass so, on the, you know, the the but, injustice but, to their workers but, by underpaying them. But for years, buying a franchise has essentially been buying a job. So it's mm. you know, coffee shops and and other things are, are pretty much been people who've maybe been retrenched from a reasonably well-paying job, got a bit of a nest egg who really can't get another job, who then essentially buy a job by buying mm. a franchise. That's that's what they've been about. I've been mm. told if you buy a McDonald's franchise, you're mm. pretty sure to make a decent living out of it. I don't know about that. That's but, but years ago it would have been. Ago, about years but ago, they're not cheap. Mm. You know, no, you're, you're looking you, at probably a million or a couple of million to buy a, a McDonald's franchise. Mm. Years ago they were a license to print money. They're not so much that more okay. anymore. Mm. Um Maddock Man says, don't forget the commercial media are dead against Labor and always will be. So, you know, that's true. I mean, I, I made some notes here. Well, I would have thought that um, if you look at the fair, well, the nine papers now that are owned by nine, which used to be Fairfax, they are still fairly uh, even, evenly handed yeah, in the I subscribe editorial. to the Sydney Morning Herald mm. and, and it's the same but, as the But age. take Queensland, for example, all, you know, the Courier-Mail and all of the regional papers... They're all owned by the... Um, all owned by Murdoch. Murdoch, yeah. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I, I... You know, so we're moving on to the topic now of, you know, this review of the Labor's loss and and my thoughts were that that Labor needs an elevator pitch to explain basically four things. That the Liberals have been bad economic managers. Like, I have this argument with people who are friends who say, well, you know, we're heading for tough times. We need good economic managers in place and the Liberals are the best economic managers. Well, and they've that, sold that image quite successfully. Exactly. It's bullshit, but they've sold it mm. and aided and abetted by the Murdoch papers. Mm. Um the second thing is that people need to be told and explain to them that the neoliberalism is a con job by the powerful who's screwing the average Australian. Uh, the third thing is this whole notion of government and tax and red tape, we've got to clear it out, there's nothing good in government at all and it's all about the individual and his family and there's no society. Like, Thatcher was wrong. There is actually such a thing as society. Mm -hmm. Like, you've got to sell that story. Mm. And the fourth thing would be you just cannot trust anything you read in the murder media and that's what you've got to get through to people. Four basic things. I would have thought if I was writing as to um, what they need to do. But in terms of um, what the Labor Review said... Um, let me just see here. Uh, they did internal statistical analysis of looking, trying to find categories who swung uh, from Labor and basically they came up with these groups that they identified, which was voters aged 25 to 34 years living in outer urban and regional areas. So and that goes very much to what you said. Our, mm. The Labor Party looked at them and said, well, you're working in the mines, you're fucking the environment, you know, mm. you, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. Yep. But they didn't actually say to them, we can create more jobs if we build windmills, solar farms. Or, yeah, or well, maybe they'd even look at what options they had. Like, like it's hard to rattle off what the alternatives are, right? isn't it? Mm. Well, so, the, the alternatives were never presented by the Labor mm. Party, mm. but they should have been presented. Mm. Uh, I, st I still think the coalition made a huge mistake letting the automotive industry go offshore. Yes. Because that pr provided 
thousands and thousands of jobs, not only mm. directly in the assembly plants but in the allied industries. Given the money that's been poured into other things. Mm. Such as submarines. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it, yes, they had to mm. subsidise the industry, but they mm. subsidise other industries, don't they? Yes. Yeah. Yep. What's the difference? Mm. And every country with an automotive industry subsidises that industry because they know it keeps manufacturing vibrant in, in the economy, you know? Yes, and in terms of, you know, we talk about our defence of this country, mm-hmm. like having the ability to make some metal widgets, maybe exploding ones down the track. Well, anyway, but just an of ability. Of whatever kind. Or maybe, you know, trades cut off with key yeah. people and you can't get stuff anymore. The ability to actually make a few things yourself. It's uh, very useful. Is a, it's, yeah. It's a, it's a, a strategic asset, really, isn't it? Well, you look at Cuba. They're still driving around in cars from the 1950s. Mm that they had to keep going because of the American embargo. Mm. You know, so... We could be the Cuba of the future. We could be. We could end up being embargoed by China or the United States or both. According to Crikey as well, it seemed that really the decision-making as to what the policies would be came from just a very small group. Yeah, that um, was ridiculous, wasn't it? Just around Shorten. So um, just a handful of people are basically making decisions on the fly and there was this culture of we've got this in the bag, if we all just shut up and show unity, we'll win this. Exactly. That seems to have been the mindset. Mm. And In fact, apparently there was a a review done after the previous election. Right. And Shorten said, don't want this released Ah, for whatever reason. And it said we need more input. We don't know what it said because nobody saw it Mm. outside the inner circle of the Labor Party. Mm. Yeah. So... So anyway, that was the uh, the um, bits and pieces from the Labor. But review. they were getting polling. Apparently, they were certain members of the the Labor Party were getting polling, showing that they weren't doing that well actually, yes, and they were going yeah. backwards. Yes, but they yeah. didn't act upon it because mm. apparently Shorten was keeping such a tight rein on everything mm. that he just wanted to keep going with the same message that he thing, had. the thing, our politics has become far more presidential than it used to be. Yeah. You mm. know, when Hawke was in power, he... He used had, to run the cabinet like he was the chairman of the board. Yes. He would sit there and he'd just listen to what everyone had to say, let them argue amongst themselves, and eventually he'd sit down and he said, right, we've got to make a decision on this. And it was arguably, arguably one of the most productive and constructive cabinets that Australia's had in recent yeah, absolutely. history. Yeah. yeah. So... Um, that's all gone by the wayside, mm. you know, and someone like Morrison is just running the rock show as he feels like it, so mm. <laughs> Cause unfortunately. He's got, a, he's got a direct line to the big man upstairs, apparently. Mm. Do you think we could resurrect Hawk, you know, bring him back to life? No, I don't think so. I think he's bring gone. back the old cabinet, you know, get the band back together, so to speak? <laughs> well. No, I think if you, even if you could bring him back to life, I don't think Paul would work for him anymore. <laughs> Right, new topic. Um, our friend Noel Pearson has joined an advisory group to design the Indigenous voice to governments. And so prominent Indigenous leader Noel Pearson, a leading proponent of constitutional recognition for Australia's first peoples, will join the advisory group. And he's among 17 notable Australians appointed on Friday by Indigenous Affairs Minister Ken Wyatt. So there's a number of people there that are listed. Uh, Mick Gooder, co-chair, Joint Council on Closing the Gap. Pat Turner, um, prominent Jesuit priest at, 
priest and lawyer, Frank Brennan. Oh, he always gets, gets a can't looking, doesn't he? Why he's got a Guernsey? He always gets a looking because he's a priest. This is the man allegedly who was, that qualifies. This him. is the man who said that the he seal, would, the seal of the, the confessional, confessional is inviolable. Uh, yeah, I will I'll, not I'll, break it. I will. I will disobey the law. Exactly. And he keeps getting put on panels to decide what our law is going to be. Exactly. But he doesn't no give a shit about some whatsoever. of them. Yeah. Mm, uh, so he gets a Guernsey. A bunch of other people get a Guernsey. There's sort of 17 of them. But here's the one that stood out to me. As somebody who gets onto this panel, this advisory panel on Indigenous Affairs, Sky News Australia presenter and columnist for the Australian, Chris Kenny, is on this. How does that happen? Chris Kenny? I could understand does, does that it, coming from this I know Morrison how it's happened. appointment. I know how it's happened, but it's it's just please, not right. Now yeah. we've jumped the shark, and we're Absolutely. looking through the looking glass, and we're down rabbit holes, and like all those metaphors. Like, for goodness' sake, uh, that anybody <laughs> from Sky News could be given any position of potential mm. authority, please. I mean, it's just been there that he can try and slow them down, and you know, I think he's trying to put them on constitutional recognition. Let's hope. You think he's going to put them off it? Well, that's what I reckon, yeah. No, yeah. well, I don't, I don't know. Maybe. Well, it's an advisory group to right. the government rather than right. uh, something written into the constitution. Isn't right. it? That's, I, that's it's the way basically, it's Basically, it? It, it sounds to me like they're trying to resurrect ATSIC. That Which, might not be a terrible idea. No, it's probably not a bad idea. It would be preferable to me to having some sort of special privilege written into the Constitution. Absolutely. For one ethnic group of the population. I agree wholeheartedly. What do you think? If, if we had a Labor Party in government right now, don't you think they'd be looking at writing it into the Constitution? I suspect the woke left of it the would. party mm-hmm. would be pushing that really hard. Absolutely, they, they would. would be. So... Thank heaven for small mercies, do you think? <laughs> no, because you, if you're going to change the constitution, you're going to get past the, you've got to get past the public in a referendum. I don't think it would work. You, Look, you don't think it would fly? No. Uh, ultimately, I think uh, the Labor Party dodged a bullet anyway because there's a nasty recession on the way. Like, I can, I can, I can <laughs> and tell they won't you. have to wear responsibility for it. Yes. You know, because if they were in charge now... You know, my mate Mike and others would be going, look what the Labor Party's already done to the country. It's already shutting down just because those guys are in. So right-wing so, Tony's so, going to have so, to eat his words a bit, do so, you think? Um, uh, it wasn't right-wing Tony who was saying that, but, you know, it could have been, it still could have been a good one to lose because they totally own our financial situation. They can't blame anybody else, even though they want to blame the Greens for Oh, they will. For, you know, of yes, course. but you should be able to make a case. No, uh, in two and a half years' time, when we're really in the poo in terms of a recession, uh, the we so-called could say there's one good group have been in managers. charge for the last nine years mm. is you guys. Yeah. So yeah. you're to blame. You yeah. got us into this mess. Yeah, right. Um, but anyway, just back to Noel Pearson. Language warning, dear listener. Um, I mean, there's an explicit rating put on this podcast when you subscribe <laughs> to it. So. If there isn't, there should be. Yeah, so there's a... But we don't... It's Unlike the Q&A panellists, we don't just drop the F word willy-nilly, only when it's relevant, and I'm about to. So if there's a kid nearby, don't let them hear Put this. Put him to bed. Yeah. Just back to Noel Pearson. What can we expect from him uh, when he's in a meeting with people? And I'll remind you of an article we did probably years ago now, Scott, mm. where um, 
Indigenous leader Noel Pearson is alleged to have called Malcolm Turnbull a white cunt, Indigenous Minister Ken Wyatt a black cunt, and Indigenous Labor Senator Pat Dodson a fucking black cunt. <laughs> in what one witness described as an offensive tirade outside the Prime Minister's office. <laughs> That's great, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah, it's going to get in really well at the meetings, yeah, isn't it? If uh, the meetings don't go his way, that's <laughs> perhaps what you can expect. <laughs> Good luck in that one. No, I think Noel Pearson's a, I think he's a, got a screw loose somewhere, frankly, because mm. he believes in Jesus. You know, I mean, well, he's a, an indigenous, a so-called indigenous leader who rages against the, you know, the, the colonial, um, probably the colonial, you know, uh, oppressors. And mm. he believes in the, the colonialist's Jesus, for mm. goodness sake. Doesn't he see the contradiction in that? Apparently not. Mm. Okay, Boomer. Careful. <laughs> <laughs> Have you heard that one, dear listener? Okay, Boomer. Have you heard that one? No. Who said that? Well, it's a saying. It's a saying. Okay, Everyone's Boomer. saying it. Yeah, okay, Boomer. So it's to shut people up of your generation. Yeah. <laughs> Because you lot were the ones that raped the country. Oh, I see. Yeah, we were the we are the ones that live in big houses and drive three Jaguars and have a holiday house down at uh, the Gold Coast. You've got to get Absolutely. used. To, you've got to get used to people who you know when you go on a little bit of a rant and they just go, oh, "Okay, Boomer." With a, it's like an eye roll. So this is from the New York Times. It's an article that says, "Now it's war. Gen Z has finally snapped over climate change and financial inequality." Teens say. OK Boomer is the perfect response because it's blasé but cutting. It's the digital equivalent of an eye roll. OK. Um, so, <laughs> yes. I'll it's, have to get used to it. It's a response to what's perceived to be some older people's sense of entitlement, outdated ways of thinking or condescending attitudes towards younger generations. So expect, uh, be, expect to be hit with an OK Boomer statement okay. every now and again. If you, if you hear it, it's quite condescending. Mm. Right. Uh, we don't strike anymore, Scott. No, and we should strike more. Are you ready? Is that to a go call for strike? violence? No, it's not a call peaceful, for violence. Peaceful strikes. It's Look, a- how about this? You go on strike, and while you're standing outside the gates, you throw petrol bombs at the building. Right. No, you shouldn't yeah. do that. Yeah. No, it's just. There's a disturbing stat here somewhere, I've just got to find it, which says that we went from being about 50% of us in the trade union movement in the 1980s down to about 20% now. Mm, yeah. Now, I'm a member of a trade union. So am I. I became a member well, a few not months a ago. Trade union. You're a member of a professional union. Yeah, professional union. Professionals Australia. Yeah. Professionals Australia. Yeah. Okay. Because I, who, who can be a member of Professionals Australia? Anyone that's a professional. Only the elite. <laughs> yeah. No, this well, is not. classify as a professional? Well, like, okay, a, an accountant, a lawyer, an engineer. Now, they okay. basically they started out they started out life as a professional engineers association, but yeah. they decided to branch out and take over okay. everyone. Yeah. Is a teacher so, professional? Well, they are, but they've got their own union. Ah, what yeah. about podcaster? Well, podcaster, we they don't need their own union. As a professional podcaster, well, we don't have a we don't have a union to be a podcaster because yeah. we're self employed. Yeah. <laughs> well, there could be employed pod, pod, podcasters. There could be employed podcasters. Mm. I assume, but are would, there enough of them mm. to? Well, I would assume that I'd assume that they'd go under the same union that you would if you're a radio presenter. Yeah. Oh, the entertainment industry. I couldn't union tell you whatever it is. Yeah. It's okay. I'll just keep the strike option up our sleeves. Good. As 
podcasters. But yes, you're right, Scott. Uh, 15, yes. Um, but on this particular article I've got a link to, it talks about the working days lost to industrial disputes per thousand workers per quarter. And back in 1985, it was nearly 80. Uh, and now it's down to about two days, two and a half. So Big a drop. huge drop. It's the, almost non-existent now. Mm, and even in construction where the militant SFMMEU allegedly runs amok, the days lost on average last financial year was 10.5 and that would have been a quiet year when John Howard was Prime Minister. It would have been a very quiet year. Mm. And in mining, another CFMMEU stronghold, no strikes were recorded at all in the first two quarters of 2019. Because they pay their work as well. Yes. Yes. That's the whole point. Mm. You know, if you want to eliminate strikes, you've got to pay your work as well. Mm. Mm. Um, so that's interesting. That, well, and I'm in the middle of reading a book, dear listener, which I will get to maybe next week and talk about. But this journalist in America decided to go and work uh, for Amazon in one of their picking warehouses. Uh, she worked for a call centre and she also then went and worked for McDonald's. And it's about her experience working on minimum wage in the United States and and what she came across. So uh, heaven help us if we get to that point, but if we're not careful, we will. Mm. Mm. Agreed. Mm. Right. Um, how are we going for time? We're going we're for a bit over an hour, hour or so. 15 minutes. Yeah. Minutes. Uh, let me just see if there was... Um, oh, just on China... Twelfth man, mm-hmm. <laughs> are you worried about young people gaming too much, playing you know, uh, computer games too I just, much? I think it could be a little unhealthy for them if they mm. game too much. I'm not particularly personally worried about them, but right. yeah, wouldn't it be good to have an authoritarian regime that could just crunch down on, on no, game? No, wouldn't on, on <laughs> turn off the games at eight pm. Yeah. So I've got a link to an article here. The Chinese government has released new rules aimed at curbing video game addiction among young people. Um, which is leading to a rise in nearsightedness and poor academic performance. Mm. And the regulations announced by the Chinese government on Tuesday banned users younger than 18 from playing games between 10pm and 8am and they're not permitted to play more than 90 minutes on weekdays or three hours on weekends. Sounds quite sensible. (laughs) Doesn't it? One of the side benefits of Of an authoritarian regime. That they can do stuff like that. Wouldn't get no, away with it in Australia. I, I don't no, think that not. they should be allowed to do that. <laughs> However, they've done it, and I can understand why, but I don't think it's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It is an, an infringement of personal liberty. Mm-hmm. I mean, surely parents should be... Uh, One would have thought the parents would be restricting them from playing well, parents should be those hours and that sort of thing. Anyway. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, you sort of poo-pooed... Uh, um, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez last week said yeah. she does nothing. She's woke. She's yeah. extremely woke. Well, she sticks it to people as well. So She sticks it to the patriarchy as well, doesn't she? Well, she's sticking it to a company in America and the company is called Gilead. It's got <laughs> <laughs> people who are fans of The Handmaid's Tale would, have just would, know, there, would yeah. know that... Uh, the, the new, United States becomes the Republic of Gilead. Yes, and there's actually a company called Gilead. 
<laughs> presumably named before before the before the, uh, before the Handmaid's my, Tale. Mind you, though, the Handmaid's Tale has been around a long time. The book, at least, the book has I mean, been. Have you finished the book time. yet? No, I'm about ninety percent through. What are you doing? This I spare just, time? Dear, oh, dear listener, I said to Scott, you've got to read. If you're a fan of the Handmaid's Tale, I've got to read the book. You have to read the book, and in particular, you have to get through the first book so that you can read the sequel that she's just put the out Testaments, called The Testaments, yes. because it's so good. It's the best sequel you'll ever read. Well, the Testaments I'll be reading on Sunday afternoon. Actually. Right. Oh no, I'll be getting to I'll be getting to the Testaments on Sunday night. I would imagine. Right, and uh, and then I've got to ring you up when I get to the thing. Oh my god, that's I know right. This is going. So. There's, there's going to be an oh my god moment, <laughs> and I said, ring me when you get to it, <laughs> and you'll just go, wow. Okay, but uh, back to Ocasio Cortez. Uh, so she was videotaped in front of this inquiry because Gilead are the makers of HIV prevention drug Truvada, also known as PrEP. And uh, there's a lawsuit that accuses the pharma company of exploiting public research dollars to make billions without giving American taxpayers their return on investment. And she asked pharma why, uh, the pharma executive, why the life-saving drug costs nearly $2,000 in the US and $8 in Australia. And his answer was, well, because we've still got a, a pate here that we can use. And that's why it is what it is. Mm-hmm. So that's the sort of thing that America needs to hear. Like she talks in a plain language. So mm. I like her. Mm. Um, religious discrimination bill, haven't heard much lately, but I came across an article from Freedom for Faith and they said if it were to go forward unamended, from its draft state, it could not be properly supported. We are quietly confident of a better response than that, but watch this space, exclamation mark. So that bill is going to be even worse than the original draft. Yeah. And all of the submissions that have been made will just be ignored. Ignored. Mm. And what will the Labor Party do when it's uh, presented to They'll the Parliament? probably roll over. They'll roll over like a puppy. Mm. Say, scratch my tummy, please. That's it, yeah. And finally, let's finish off with um, Indigenous fury at eateries use of native flora. Yeah, that was ridiculous, wasn't it? Mm. Bush Tucker, 12th man. Absurd. Totally Bush Tucker. The idea that Indigenous people actually own a patent of some some sort on anything that is uh, you know, native to, Austra- to the Australian landscape. So there's a group of Indigenous Australians who are furious that restaurants and others are using native ingredients on high-end menus. And mm. it's, they say it's treating sacred ingredients as cash grab. The Gosh. sort of ingredients we're talking about are sea succulents, kakala, saltbush, finger limes and wattle seed. And Bunjalung Man... And SBS, there you go. On country kitchen host, the Mark most woke Olive. channel on Australian TV. Mm. So he was happy to see ingredients that are mainstream, but he did not agree with the lack of respect shown. What uh, does that mean? Mm. You use you use a finger lime, you know. You, you squeeze a finger lime over your your, mm. your grilled salmon. Mm. You're not showing respect to somebody. These ingredients are an important part of Indigenous culture and history and people need to know the stories behind it all. Oh, Jesus Christ. It's like welcome to country. Every time you sit down to a meal and you squeeze a finger lime over your fish, you've got to have a welcome welcome to country ceremony before you eat it, before you tuck in. Give me a break. It's really ridiculous. I mean, Jesus Christ. It's 
can't these, the absurd, can't these guys... Cultural appropriation is essentially... So should we, you know, I mean, wheat, you know, the wheat that we all uh, use and enjoy around the world originated in the Middle East, didn't it? Isn't that where wheat was first uh, uh, certainly you know, systematically wasn't in cultivated? Mm. So I mean, uh, what about our indigenous people who eat bread? They're not showing respect but, but to, take, the Middle East, well, to the Middle Eastern people who first cultivated Potatoes, tomatoes and I think chilli came from South America. Absolutely. So. Are we being disrespectful to the indigenous people of South America by eating tomatoes? It's terrible. Jesus Christ. It's really ridiculous. You it's know, really this, ridiculous. This whole thing that I read, I just thought none of this yeah. makes any sense. The whole point of multiculturalism is to... Is to take bits and pieces it's from culture, everything. Exactly. Drop, drop stuff of your own that's no longer appropriate. Adopt stuff of other people that is. Mix and match and and move onwards and upwards. The internal combustion having, engine was invented in Europe. Are we mm. being disrespectful to the Europeans by driving, you know, Korean-made cars? Mm. So there's a lady here who had a business and. Uh, she's been frozen out of the industry because she's not on the list of approved Indigenous suppliers. So, uh, she's and that's been quite sinister, really, isn't it? Mm. It's very racist. Mm. It's absolutely racist, mm. and it's sinister to think that people can manipulate a commercial enterprise mm. like that. Um, yes, but she's white. She's part of the patriarchy. Oh, of course. Yeah. Yeah. So, she's privileged. Yeah. So there we go. There's a, that's, that's the end of a woke awareness episode where... It was really quite depressing, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it is depressing. And it shows how much we have to push back against this whole woke culture. Yes. We really do. I mean, we can, we, can, we can be, you know, in our heart of hearts, we can support uh, left causes like equality. Yep. Uh, wage justice, um, you know, all kinds of human rights. Yes. But we've got to push back against this ridiculous postmodernist intersectionality woke culture. It's just absurd. Yep. These people who are claiming special privilege because of their differences rather than equal rights exactly. despite of their exactly. differences have got yeah. it wrong. Exactly. Like Martin Luther King would be yep. rolling in his grave. Yep. Uh, you know, if you're on that panel at Q&A, you would have said to that woman... You know, they talked about uh, violence as being the only response left to them. And I was thinking at one point, well, is that what Martin Luther King said? Like, wasn't it peaceful protest? Was, mm-hmm. was the right. idea of the civil rights movement? Right. They Even Gandhi, say, who wasn't white yep. either, yep. Uh, it conducted non-violent protests to get rid of the British. Yes. Yeah. So... Uh, I mean, they were pretty good role models, I, I would think. I yeah. would have thought. yeah. So, and yet now it's mm. fight violence with violence. When did that ever work out well? Yeah. Didn't work out at all. Yeah. Well, in the world, in the world wars, maybe. But you know, in terms of uh, social progress within a country, you know, violence doesn't really achieve very much of of any good, does it? Well, you know, unless you've got the best weapons and the and the power, That's which. Right. Sure. And we, well, women will not have if they want to go around murdering and killing and, and using violence. They, they're clearly going to lose on they that are. on that score. So, yeah. hey, um, just on cultural appropriation, our friend Wheat Watcher from mm-hmm. Scotland, uh, mm-hmm. he's not happy. He says no one seems to be culturally appropriating haggis. <laughs> <laughs> I've eaten haggis, mate. It's not very good. <laughs> 
Maybe you just didn't have a good piece of haggis. I had some haggis when I was in Scotland yeah, all those might years have got a dodgy, ago. You might have got dodgy haggis. Well, I don't yeah. know. I just went and they, they were selling haggis at a Christmas market. <laughs> you tell me if this is true, Wet Washer, but they were selling haggis at a Christmas market. I thought, I've got to try some haggis seeing I'm in Scotland. Yeah. It was ghastly. <laughs> right. It's a, it's a sheep's it's stomach. It's a sheep's stomach that's with, filled with stuff and then you boil yeah, it up. Yeah. Right, yeah. yeah. Ghastly. What could possibly go wrong? It's enough to make you go vegan. <laughs> Right. Well, that's been good. Uh, we've had good people contributing in the chat room. Much appreciated to those who hung in there. Um, gentlemen, I think we can sign off. And uh, next week, um, Bill Gates on Wealth Tax and maybe I'll get to Stephen Pinker. Maybe uh, we'll see how we're going. I've got to deal with um, Warren's accusations that I was um, strawmanning people. So mm. I'm going to deal with that. Righto. Well, uh, thank you very much, dear listener. We will talk to you next week. Thanks very much for tuning in. Bye now. See you all. Bye. Okay, everyone, welcome. This support group is for people who are so woke that they are finding it impossible to have any fun at all. We have somebody new with us this week, so would you like to introduce yourself? Uh, hi, I'm Oscar. Uh, I think, like a lot of you guys, for me, it started with the little things. Signing an online petition, going to a march. Well, I mean, before I knew it, I was, I was writing to The Guardian about LGBT representation in the Harry Potter books. Which is shocking, by the way. All right, Lily. We've all read your blog. Don't worry, Oscar. You've come to the right place. All of the young people in this room are ruining their lives by being overly virtuous. That's actually a microaggression to say young people because it carries subconscious bias towards the elderly. Actually, what you're doing is denying agency to the elderly, which is arguably much worse. See, this, this is what I'm talking about. You see, it's a slippery slope. One minute you're carrying a reusable water bottle, fine, and the next minute you're arguing that water is racist. Oh, my God, is water racist? No, no, it's just an example. Right, how did you guys get on with the homework that I set you? Guys isn't an especially inclusive term. Not now, Jamie. By homework, do you mean having to watch that old people's sitcom? It's called Friends, Lily, and you were supposed to watch it and enjoy it. Well, I tried, but I found it deeply problematic. Why? Well, there's the homophobia, the transphobia, the fatism and the slut-shaming, and could Chandler be any more annoying? You can't go through your 20s worrying about every aspect of everything. You have to pick your battles. And just remember that it doesn't really matter because by the time you hit your 30s, most of you are going to be massively right-wing anyway. Have any of you started to think that maybe poor people don't deserve benefits? No. Well, watch out for that one because that's how it starts. Look, I understand this has all been a bit much for some of you, so let's take five and have a hobnob. I find the word hobnob very phallocentric. Fuck off, Jamie. Well, dear listener, did you enjoy that episode of the podcast? If you did, I've got a favour to ask. Uh, first up, tell some friends. Let them know about the podcast. You'll be discussing something at some time and you might be repeating something I've said. And when you're talking to your friends, say, hey, I heard this on this podcast and it's worth listening to. And maybe pick an episode that you think's a good one and direct them to it. Like grab their phone and go to their podcast app and search for Iron Fist Velvet Glove and subscribe <laughs> on their behalf on their phone and uh, and just put the word out. The other thing is you could become a patron and support the show. So if you go to our website, you'll see a link to Patreon and there are some different options for subscribing and paying per episode. 
And really, the amount that you pay depends on what you get from the podcast. So there's different levels ranging from $1.50 Australian to, I think, $10 and various ones in between. It's really, what do you think it's worth? Is it worth a cup of coffee? Uh, Is it worth more than that, less than that? Whatever you get out of it, because not everybody gets the same. Maybe you don't listen to the whole thing. Maybe you never talk about it with people. Maybe you really couldn't care less half the time whether the podcast is there. It just, it'll be different for everybody. So if you get a lot out of the podcast, contribute a bit more. If you don't get much, contribute less. But in any event, you can subscribe there. If you don't like the idea of a regular subscription, the website has a link to a PayPal donation. So you could just do a one-off donation every now and again. So there you go. It'd be good to uh, spread the word, get a few more listeners And that way, look, if we ended up getting more listeners and more money, we could do maybe a second episode or more special episodes, provide some more content. So it's up to you. If you think it's worthwhile, let people know. Thanks.